All right, and we are live with the 22nd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson on Twitter at CKTricky. And then I'm Seth Law, uh, at Seth Law on Twitter. Uh, tonight we're joined by Jimmy Mesta once again. Yet again. Going, Jimmy? Yeah. It's going well. You, you guys must be, uh, must be desperate for talent here. Have me on twice. <laughs> It's been, you know, we were talking about it earlier. It's been, uh, it's been um, since March 13th that you were on. So it's very true. You were just telling us we need a theme song for the podcast. Yeah, I, I think some some cool that Batman style intro music or something, something to really to really get things kicked off. But yeah. you know, that's all you. Maybe Seth Seth could sing us an intro. There we go. Absolutely. No, never mind. That's not good. <laughs> By the well, way, well, yeah. Seth, you know what I did uh, when this thing started up? Forgot to hit mute. Oh, you forgot to oh. mute. Of course you did, because you know we're we're only twenty two episodes in, and you haven't learned. <laughs> Computers are hard, man. That's the whole point <laughs> of this podcast. Computers are really hard. Computers are hard. So it's almost like you should automate that, right? You know, make yeah. sure it doesn't happen again. So you said it was March and I was last on? Yeah, so it was early March and you got when we for those that weren't uh, that weren't around for that episode, you got bombarded with questions. I mean, there were like we had to just cut it off at, at a certain point. So there were a lot of questions. Um I think I know some uh some of the parties responsible for those questions that might be that might be listening and asking similarly hard questions tonight. So we'll see. Yeah, I feel like it was an attempt to. I think you had said it was. Some of that was an attempt to see if like they could stump you. Probably. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Anyways, yeah. So it, it was good. Well, since then I've been. Um, that was earlier in the year, obviously, and I was just finishing up my Kubernetes DevSecOps two-day course that I have now done almost 15 days of on-site at different, at different locations. So a lot has happened. I've talked to, I guess, several, it's been hundreds of, of developers, sysadmins, architects, everybody uh, in class. So it's, it's grown, it's changed, it's gotten much, uh, much more mature. And I, I've learned the state of Kubernetes and Kubernetes security uh, at some very very large organizations. So it's been it's been really cool. Awesome. Are there any new technologies that you've sort of or because the last time we were we had you on, you discussed a plethora of various technologies that uh, you know that basically do different things uh, when it comes to doc. Sorry, container security and Kubernetes. Um, has any have any of those products uh, evolved, or is there anything uh, new? You know, that since three months ago. I mean, um, anything interesting? Yeah. So I think what's interesting to begin with is that we're starting to see more attacks in the wild on Kubernetes infrastructure. Right? None of them are that that sexy or that glamorous um, and most of it's somewhat boring, but we've seen things. Uh, I have this, this really good slide I made um, all the way from the latest being in June, this, this month uh, uh, Docker hub 
embedding malware. We all heard about that. We could talk about that later. It's not really Kubernetes specific, but then also in June was a Weight Watchers uh, breach, which blows my mind that Weight Watchers even uses Kubernetes, but they do. Um, and they had an unsecured Kubernetes dashboard. So as we know, as we probably talked about last time, the Kubernetes dashboard can allow access to basically admin type functionality within a cluster. You can launch jobs and, and create pods and containers. You can view secrets. You can grab um, config map data. You can do all sorts of things uh, in the dashboard if left uh, unsecured and given the right permissions. This is so, like the second time this year, right? That it's yep. been a big company where they got the, the, and the interesting thing, and I'm gonna post this article. The interesting thing is, because I, I think it was Tesla last yeah. time and then they had an aws access key that was inside of their their kubernetes and and so with weight watchers they're saying that's the same exact thing yeah yeah um and if you went on shodan and looked around for the right port you could probably find many 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 of these unsecured dashboards and it happens for a variety of reasons right they could be running a really old version of kubernetes where they don't even know the dashboard's open, the service account that the dashboard uses has you know, full access to the cluster, the ability to do everything, or they could be running the latest, like 110, and then somebody got annoyed with the way they used to do things and gave that service account more access than it needed, stripped away authentication. There are definitely ways to screw this up. Um, what do you mean by, for clarification, uh, what did you mean by they got annoyed with the way things used to work? Oh, yeah. Well, the dashboard wasn't as locked down by default in prior versions uh, before role-based access control became a default in Kubernetes. So the dashboard was relatively this wide open thing that out of the box, you could access everything you needed. And if you upgraded a cluster and, and role-based access control was now enabled, that service account didn't allow you to access pieces of the dashboard that you used to be able to. And as we as we know, people like going around those things and just giving the service account more access versus scoping permissions and doing authentication properly. So nobody knows what happened at Weight Watchers or Tesla per se, but it's it is pretty sad state of affairs. It's like going back in time to unauthenticated dashboards like PHP MyAdmin status. Yeah, it's almost like a CTF. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what something else happened to um, oh, Shopify in May, user could access Kubelet credentials and replay namely Kubelet certificate and private key. So this was a HackerOne report um, on the Shopify Kubernetes cluster and the kubelet is the API that sits on each node within a cluster. So you could replay a request to that API to you know spin up containers, to view the running pods on a given node, things like that. The kubelet has you know very elevated privileges as well. So that's kind of what's been going on. And then Aviva is another one in October of last year is another unsecured dashboard. So it's all fun stuff um, and simple things to fix. Luckily, I'm actually trying to to find the yeah. We're oh, trying to track it. these down. 
Did you find the links um, for it? Yeah, it says how a Shopify Kubernetes cluster. So it's the, the the interesting thing is actually the title of it is. Sorry, my lights are flickering. Weird. Uh, SSRF in exchange leads to root access in all instances. I want to say this is the one. Let me. I think. Uh, I think that's it. Let me paste it in, and Jimmy can tell us. Uh, put this in this yeah. chat. Is that when was that submitted? Let's see. May, yeah, that's yep. well, twenty-five thousand dollar bounty. That's that's significant. Wow. Once again, SSRF. Yep, exactly. So it's access to the the Google Cloud metadata. Yeah. So you're starting at a uh, like a, a traditional web app phone, right? With SSRF, and then that that Google Cloud metadata. Uh, API endpoints, same with AWS, returned lots of interesting data that you could then go, I guess, authenticate to one of the nodes via the kubelet within the cluster, and you own the entire infrastructure at that point. Because with that, what you're saying with those, um, with the creds, you're able to just access that API and, and do things on the API, is that? Yeah, more or less. I didn't read this whole thing, but that's if you have the certificate that Kubelet uses, so to back up, we have a and the master sends requests to the node to do things like, hey, like spin up a container within a pod on your node. It does that through the Kubelet API. It's just a REST API. Um, there's a couple things that could go wrong with the Kubelet API, one being not having any sort of authentication at all. So at least Shopify was using um, client certificates to authenticate the master to node communication, but some places don't do that. And that's really, really bad. But if you get that cert, you can replay attacks or replay requests to the Kubelet API, essentially just saying, I, have a, I, I am the master, even if you aren't, please schedule this pod onto your node and this pod will contain my container, uh, spin that up and my container has a malicious, you know, it can mount a volume, it can do all sorts of things. Uh, it can be a privileged container and, and have root access to the node. There's all sorts of things once you're allowed to do like basically a Docker pool and Docker run on the node. So that's kind of what the issue around the kubelet, if you will. Seth posted. Um, Seth posted in, in chat his favorite part of that report. That was pretty funny. It's the uh, redacted it's the certificate. Yeah, it's the certificate dump, but the whole certificate is just redacted. It's just yeah. black lines. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it makes sense. I can't. I can't figure out if it's hacker one that redacted it or the yeah. But it's funny. That's how you know it's real. You know, yeah. that is an interesting point that, you know, where AppSec and, and cloud and DevOps and all this technology sort of coincides is that, like, typically when you're running a web app, it is pulling secrets from, often it's pulling secrets from environment variables. So if for any reason you can, and it's the same thing when, like, so this was Google Cloud, but, you know, like with AWS, they also have a, a URL that if you request, mm -hmm. it has environment variables for credentials and other data, the metadata URL. So it's it's all. I I wonder if I wonder if there's a case to be made that it's that it's easier to exploit, um, 
infrastructure through applications now than than perhaps inside of your typical data center setup? I, I actually don't know the answer to that. Oh, yeah. it could be. I, I mean, I think control takeover from a web app, right, is a lot easier because we do view these as um, like like we don't we don't care for the servers in the same way that we used to, right? I mean, it's the whole cats versus cows or whatever you wanted to call it, right? Um, isn't that what it is? I can't remember. Cat, cattle, cattle versus pets. Yeah, cattle versus pets, right? You know, a pet you take care of and you you make sure that it's good, you know, by itself. But now that we're spinning up hundreds of these and we're just going to, you know, take them up and spin them down, we don't put as much thought into the security controls that are built into that and what the what the applications actually expose us to. Totally. At least, I mean, that's my opinion, right? That's that's what I'm seeing, and that's why SSRF is becoming much a much bigger deal than it probably was ten years ago. Well, and when you think about it, like if you if you exploited um, if you exploited a box, like even if you got I don't know, you had command injection and you got a reverse shell out to you, yourself, I mean, you still it would be difficult to a degree, and and that's when it you know, you kind of like your red team skills come into place, network skills, because now you've got to kind of identify the other instances of things running. If you want to like further um, exploit and pivot throughout the, the network and you've got to do a, I mean, you got to, you have to do a bit of legwork. Whereas like if you just were to have a Kubernetes dashboard exposed and you get an AWS key or you get at, you know, SSRF on a box hosted on AWS if you've got that key, like, and I'm saying AWS could be Google Cloud, could be whatever. Like, depending on the access, you might have access to just the whole. I mean, the data center, right? It's exposed publicly. It's, I mean, that's yeah. the way that works. So your, your data center is a is a series of APIs, and if you don't architect that with segmentation from the beginning, it's really hard, right? Like you start sharing keys around, you have different environments, different VPCs that all need access to one another. And you're seeing that in Kubernetes, it's the same problem amplified now where people want to shove all their workloads into one cluster and rely on what are very thinly veiled security uh, sort of policies and security technologies built into Kubernetes and try to kind of patchwork this thing and as soon as you have one web app phone or one major issue in, in a misconfiguration in a cluster, you're you're taking down a lot more with it than we saw with like here's your EC2 instance running your your one single API endpoint, something like that. So the the ways to pivot now they're different, um, but I, I do think in these tightly coupled cloud native environments. Uh, the criticality is high once you find a way in. So, so, I mean, what are people using? And well, I, it's two different questions. What are people, what are you seeing people use for key management? And, and the flip side of that is what's, what would you recommend? What would be an optimal sort of like way to go with that? Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure we talked about this last time too. Uh, since then, so there's, there's two schools of thought, right? If you're using Kubernetes, you can bring your own secret management, key management store. You can use KMS, you can use Vault, you can use 
self-built kind of internal homebrewed sort of mechanisms that use HSMs, whatever it is. And that's actually what I see most of because larger organizations have a, have a very set way of doing secrets management, right? They're not going to bring Kubernetes in and be like, cool, let's not use that now. And we'll just use the Kubernetes secrets because that doesn't make any sense, right? Because they have this whole process figured out. So I would say use what you have. Use something maybe that's decoupled from Kubernetes because at this point we're still looking at secrets unencrypted in plain text and etcd on the Kubernetes master for the most part, unless you're stripping away etcd as a separate cluster in your in your Kubernetes environment. There are mechanisms to encrypt those secrets in Kubernetes, but they're like alpha experimental. They're not very GA at this point. So I'm seeing Vault and I'm seeing KMS. I'm seeing the stuff we've been using for a while just bolted on top of Kubernetes. And that's probably what I'd recommend. And if you have to use secrets in Kubernetes, definitely turn on encryption. Okay. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's no, like a, it's, it's a religious talk, debate, right? Yeah. yeah. So. We did talk about it last time. I was just pretty much curious what you've seen people kind of using, which it sounds like same old solutions as before, just on top of Kubernetes. Um, which is so. trickier, right? It's not that easy. Then you're dealing with immutable infrastructure, containers that come and go within a matter of seconds, uh, and they have to be able to go talk to a key store or a, or a secrets management solution. So it's, it's, it's more of a problem of dealing with containers and secrets versus Kubernetes. Because you can use the built-in Kubernetes secrets, but I, I've not seen anybody that in the enterprise world actually doing that yet. That doesn't mean they aren't. It's just everyone's a little on the fence about it, rightfully so. Well, I mean, along those lines, right, because we've got Amazon, you've got some of the um, services that are now offering Kubernetes, like, as a service. Yep. It, you know, are they tying in to, like, you know, Amazon's key management solution, their KMS, or how, how is that working in those situations? Are they, I mean, what have you seen? Uh, so managed Kubernetes, depending on your cloud provider, will play much nicer, obviously, with the built-in, you know, secrets manager in AWS uh, and Google Cloud has its own secrets management utility. So that's what I'd recommend. But then you have vendor lock-in and all those things that you're supposed to try to avoid if possible. And managed Kubernetes in AWS specifically is so new that nobody I've talked to has even really given it a an actual go in any sort of production sense. And realistically, it doesn't excite me for a variety of reasons because I can't even play around with it without it costing me an arm and a leg per month at this point. So I use Google, I use GKE uh, for all my sandbox development. I have a bunch of clusters in GKE and that I find that to have a nice integration with all the stuff that, that Google offers there. Is probably where I would recommend people go if they have if they're starting from scratch because it's okay. Uh, it's just easy. The shared master model, the upgrades, the the node pooling, the auto scale, all the stuff you get out of the box that 
you just don't even have to think about. You're just kind of writing YAML manifest files, configuring your command line and going is, is a big game changer. So. Yeah, that's cool. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to get away with from the, like the issues that you're seeing, like with Shopify, right. And SSRF, you know, the, the code that we're running on top of Kubernetes or Docker or EC2, right. It, it's always going to be, it's always going to introduce vulnerabilities. And the second that we know that there is an endpoint there that allows us access to the KMS or to shared secrets, right? It's a lot easier to do that when you know, oh, guess what? They are running in GKE. So I know that these are the, these are the different URLs that I want to try when I find SSRF, right? Sure, yeah. And, and at least when you're using something like Vault or AWS Secrets Manager or what have you, you have this auditability, you know, you have cloud trail logs, you have you have a way to rotate keys efficiently. You have a lot of built-ins that you, you might not, you know, you have a, uh, a master key that's never used and short-lived keys and, and all this stuff that I think is really valuable when it comes to secrets storage and secrets management that you can't do that in Kubernetes by default. It's like, you just give it a base 64 encoded value and it stores it in etcd and then you retrieve it later there's no notion of like you know rotation or any any of the auditability there is some auditability but it's it's relatively new and it's not nearly as robust as as cloud trail so um, yeah i would i would especially in mixed cloud environments just use the key management that you got in place don't try to reinvent the wheel. Cool. Okay, so reinvent the wheel. Got it. We'll, we'll start. <laughs> yep. Just ignore all of that solid advice and uh, just you know do whatever you want. That's right. That's what people do, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Come on, they're a special use case, right? Everyone is a special case and a special butterfly. Yeah, but in our yeah. environment, you don't understand. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, every class I've been to, somebody's been like, well, we have this, you know, high performance MySQL Java API team that runs these massive clusters of MySQL databases and they're performance tuned over the, the past 10 years. And I'm trying to convince uh, my team to put them in Kubernetes. I'm just like, don't do that. Like, it, it's <laughs> like literally like, it's like we don't need you don't need to shove every part of your infrastructure into Kubernetes. It's great for like stateless services, you know, things like you know, REST endpoints, uh, something that has like a JWT style authentication mechanism or like things that come and go uh, or, or really bursty loads, right? Things that are job-like or cron job-like. Kubernetes is great. Data science jobs work well, web front ends, things like that. But when you start talking about you know, you need this amount of like GPU and you're writing this crazy graphics processing box that's just like a million dollars a month. It's like, don't, you're just re-architecting for no reason. Like just have Kubernetes do the rest of the stuff. So I like that a Kubernetes security um, trainer and consultant is saying, yeah, you, you may not need to use it. <laughs> well, it's true. It the just Google, depends. I mean, the Google Cloud team will tell you the same thing. It's like, if you're running like a three tier rails application for your, you know, unicorn aspiring startup, like you probably 
are better off on like a past solution, like a Heroku at that point. You don't need the added complexity and, and overhead of, of Kubernetes. But there, there are benefits for more advanced, more mature teams that are actually running real workloads that need that kind of, you know, elasticity, if you will. So Yeah, because it does take dedicated teams to actually run Kubernetes. It's not like you can just have a three or four person team and and I mean, obviously I would hope people are not trying to go that route with a three or four person team, but you know what I'm saying? Like it actually takes a sizable amount of, I would imagine anyways, it takes a sizable team to, uh, okay. From what I've seen, it does, I, you know, I don't know if that's always the case, but from what I've seen it, it's pretty, it can be pretty intense to, to yeah. no, it's a skill. It's a skill set. Like, you would hire for that skill set and not expect, you know, next week that your developers and ops teams are writing YAML manifest files and doc, like Dockerizing your entire infrastructure. And, and it's, it's a multi-year process in a large corporation, I would say. So what would you say the benefits are of, you know, the, the, the some of the, 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 the good reasons to move to Kubernetes? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, after all that negativity I just threw down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to balance out the cynicism and like... Shit, I'm not, I'm not, trying, so long. I'm not <laughs> trying to be cynical for the sake of it, right? It's because it's because people jump on hot technologies. That's that's the nature of our business. But um, Kubernetes, if, if you're going down all the way to the developer laptop where you've committed to using containers as a technology for deployment, right? You get lots of benefits on the laptop level, on local dev level, where you're, you have this environment that's going to be as close to production as possible. It's probably not the same, but it's much closer than before when we're just writing code locally on our laptops and hoping it works on said server that might have the packages installed or not. So you get this self-contained uh, image and the CI/CD pipeline becomes pretty fast and and immutable, right? So we didn't immutability wasn't as much of a thing before, at least in the way containers give us this ability to say, just roll out, you know, version one X now on half the you know, half of our our node pool, and we're going to do a canary deployment using containers and be able to roll back instantly. Like that kind of stuff was a little harder in the chef traditional, like just update the server and see what happens sort of world. So you can have benefits all the way down to the laptop. So if you're already using containers and you've committed to that for your workloads and you started kind of de- you know, decoupling the monolith, if you will, and breaking things up into smaller services, Kubernetes works great because now you have 16 microservices that all scale independently of one another to infinity technically, you know, like it, your right. front, your front ends, if you hit hacker news one day can auto scale very, very, very quickly. If you get that, that burst of load and then scale back down for you. So those are the types of things where it's like auto scaling in AWS didn't really give us the speed that we wanted. And it, it, it definitely didn't give us, the same type of auto scaling that we're seeing in Kubernetes and Kubernetes has come out with so many features that people are like re-architecting the way they write code to do things like jobs and cron jobs on a pool of servers that 
are almost these like functions that you just run and they they finish their job and give an output and that's the end. So that's that's kind of the thing in Kubernetes that's that's probably the most special, right? It's it's a way to take containers into production. But if you don't have containers yet, you gotta start there. You gotta be you gotta plan ahead to this sort of thing. Because you can't just be I think doing containers and Kubernetes all at once is just tough for people to put their wrap their heads around. So, I mean, you've talked about some performance um, gains, but are there are there any security gains that you get like from? I mean, because I would imagine. I mean, one one I could think of. You talked about doing this at the laptop level. I could definitely envision it's easier for a either a consultancy or for somebody in house to just get the app running locally on their box, presumably, and then you know testing um, what they're seeing in the code on their laptop doing sort of like the hybrid analysis, which we've talked about before being a mix of uh, code and having that app running locally besides. Uh, so that's the one thing that off the top of my head I could think of, but are there any other sort of like security gains you get from moving to Kubernetes? Uh, no, that's a good question. So in theory, containers can offer you some level of isolation that maybe we didn't have before. They're not a VM. Like we don't have the hypervisor, we don't have our own kernel, but a container should be fairly simple, right? And you're supposed to run one process in a container. So right there, we don't have, you know, we don't have Telnet, we don't have any of those things that old school hackers sitting on a box love to, to just take advantage of. Um, because it's, you know, if you look at Alpine Linux or any, any of these really, really lightweight Linux container images, it's, they don't do a whole lot. So in theory, that's number one, a, a benefit, right? And then number two, um, there's some pretty great tools out there to scan container images for vulnerabilities. So you can run this in your CI, CD pipeline uh, tools like Claire, uh, Encore. They're going to look for, you know, you know, common vulnerabilities like libssl lib is out of date and there's a remote code execution flaw in this package. And then as an operator, um, you know, as the ops team, DevOps team, you can start building golden images that your whole company is only allowed to use and you, the security team, has worked with the ops team to vet these images. It's, you know, the packages are up to date. Everything is is kosher when, when you actually bundle this container up and send it out to Kubernetes. So that's a win, I think. Um, and then Kubernetes itself, as you know, I, I was being cynical before, but the, if you do it right and you architect it correctly, it's, it's not worse than what we have. And in many ways, if you implement some things like mutual TLS authentication, network policies, um, some of the admission controls that are out there that that allow us to define what a container can run as, like not running as root, all these things. Um, if you take advantage of those features, it's it's more powerful than things we've had before. Um, so I, I think it's just a matter of doing it versus, you know, just flying by the seat of your pants and trying to get things shipped as fast as possible. So. Yeah, there's every step all the way to the developer laptop, I think there's benefits if you take advantage of them. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, it sounds like Seth, you're gonna say something. 
Oh no, I, I mean, I was just going to ask along those same lines, right? It sounds like most of the the benefits are definitely for a more disciplined organization, right? Um, somebody that's put some of that, you know, time and forethought into, you know, developing around it. I mean, you know, what what is kind of the 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 industry adoption there that you're seeing? Is it more of these, you know, large organizations that are investigating it, or are you seeing more startups, or you know, is is it just across the board? Across the board, um, and I'd say the smaller the organization, that's probably my opinion, obviously. But you should probably, if you if you're in a if you're containerizing your application and your services, manage Kubernetes takes a lot of the thought out of securing at least at the node level and the and the uh, master level and the kubelet level, like all that stuff, kind of becomes more of like a platform as a service and you're just updating it through some GUI or, or, or command line utility. And you can rely on Google who obviously wrote the book and, and the source code for Kubernetes for the most yeah. part to, to give you the latest and greatest, to give you security advisories, all these things. And then at large, larger organizations, I am working with a company that has a two-person team just dedicated to like DevOps security and Kubernetes security. And these guys are highly trained assassins and they wrote the threat model on Kubernetes. They write the policies, they write the automation that spins up their clusters and those clusters are rock solid. So if you're big, invest in that sort of thing and then guide your company towards like, not being able to deploy containers insecurely because there's no way, you know what I mean? Like that's that, that's the DevSecOps pipeline where I bring in a vulnerable image. I write some YAML manifest that's, you know, out of whack and asking for too many privileges. I, I just don't allow that in the cluster by default. So it's just, then you don't even have to think about it. And then you have you know, the guys that are, are skilled and trained in, in that world, keeping up to date with it. So that's, that's what I see at larger organizations because managed Kubernetes doesn't work for everybody. Okay. Yeah. That, I, I mean, from my perspective, that makes sense. Um, right. And uh, like, I know a lot of the guys that are on, like uh, that are following us and things like that probably don't have the same level of experience, obviously, as you do with Kubernetes. Right. And I know I don't, um, you know, Ken and I, it's, you know, it, it's definitely new to us as well. Um, and, and we did talk through some of the, hey, these are the introductions and this is where you want to go with it, um, right? Are, are you seeing anything new that, you you know, we should be aware of in that space that is, you know, either coming down the pipeline or, I mean, other attacks? You said that the, you've started to see more of them, like the malware stuff that was out on Docker Hub. But is there other stuff that is, you know, moving along or progressing in that space? Yeah, so, I mean, and on the Docker Hub note, that's that's hardly exciting, right? It's like, okay, that's pretty much the same as you pulling blindly pulling in some NPM package or Ruby gem or whatever it is. It's the same concept, except now it's a whole operating system, which is way, which is way better for cryptocurrency miners and all this crap that people want to distribute. And I blame the people who pulled images and didn't look at them. Like I can't, I mean, Docker Hub should be doing their part, right? But um, that's going to be a problem going forward. And then the other parts are 
really just keeping up with the actual platform itself because things like network policies. So you have 65 different pods all running in a Kubernetes cluster. By default, they can kind of just all talk to each other, right? They're not authenticated. They're in this, this, this shared space for the most part. Um, and if you don't set up a network policy or a service mesh, if you pop one box through a web app phone or SSRF would be great there, or, or you have a developer that should only have access to a certain namespace and they can get access to production, th things like that, where you can find yourself on a pod talking to maybe a Redis key value store. Um, Redis isn't going to ask you for authentication unless you're mutually auth. So stuff like that, I think people are just, it's not a, a vulnerability in that like we're seeing it in the news, but it probably will be like that's the privilege traversal escalation attack vector, if you will, in in Kubernetes. It's it's just forgetting to put things there because it's hard. Because like it's like built, it's like firewall rules. It's way easier to not have them than it is. Yeah. So that same stuff we've worried about forever and preached about is just happening now. So, so you're saying, you know, imp implement a firewall, uh, you know, scan your code, don't trust user input, don't run code you don't trust, right? I, I mean, it, it it really does sound like... Same stuff, know, different same, different day, yeah. Different day, right? And, which is where we start with all of it, right? And, you know, you think back to like the mobile days or like when iOS and Android first started taking off as well, it was the same thing, right? It's... It's just a different platform that we're dealing with it on. Yeah. Wild West. And it's getting better. I mean, but you have to use the tools available to you. And so in, in Kubernetes now, if you spun up a cluster, uh, RBAC or role-based access control is, is a default. So you can't, like, you can't just have these admin service accounts that are auto-mounted into every pod. And, like, these really, like, wacky things that happened in the past, uh, it's way harder to make to do that now. So at least the, the secure by default is getting better with Kubernetes for sure. Um, and upgrading is if you're in managed Kubernetes is really easy. If you're not, it could be a pain in the butt, right? It's the same same stuff we saw before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, you're upgrading your operating system, right? I, I mean, realistically, that's what it is. If you were dealing with a, a server itself. There's no guarantee that your app's going to run on top of that. You're going to have to test it out, right? Yep, yep. So I know you had taken a uh, certification. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm blocking that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this morning I actually took uh, the, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation has a couple of Kubernetes certifications, if you will, um, the one I took today was a certified Kubernetes application developer. It is, it's like 300 bucks. I got an early access beta thing, um, but it is a, a lab-based exam. So it's truly, you just get a shell on a, uh, I assume they're using GKE or Google Cloud or Google Compute or something. Um, and there are six different clusters running, and you have uh, deploying secrets to config maps to 
auto scaling to resource quotas, all this stuff. It's not really security specific, but um, I didn't study at all, uh, which may or may not have been a good idea because I didn't actually finish all 19 because I only had I had to like set up for 10 minutes with the proctor. It's only an hour and 50 minutes and uh, which is kind of a bummer that I, I, I nailed the ones I did, but then I just ran out of time. Maybe I'm just slow, but it's a lot. It's like a lot of challenges to do and you're in somebody else's, you're not in your own shell and you're in terminal where you feel warm and cozy. You're out on this like web shell thing. And so, but the tasks themselves were themselves were, really really good so if you're looking to get in you know full-on learn kubernetes uh they offer basic training uh for free and then advanced training for a cost and then you can just take the exam um but again it's not a it's definitely not security focused so it is yeah but i mean that's with with anything right like if you want to do application security learn to develop if you want to do uh, network security, learn to administer, right? And I think we've talked about this a bit before where, you know, you need to learn the nuts and bolts and the fundamentals. And this is, I think I would argue one of the situations where this is learning and certifying on the, the nuts and bolts of Kubernetes. And totally. then once you do that, then the security component can, once you get that all locked down. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's great for anybody. If it, if your organization is, and, and honestly, not to plug my course, but my course isn't, isn't, doesn't imply prior Kubernetes knowledge, right? So it, it spent, I spent a good amount of time starting with like, what's a cluster? What's a pod? What's a service? What's a deployment? What's a secret? And, and the labs are progressive in that, like you build a container from a Golang binary, like an API, it does next to nothing. Take the container and put it into a pod. Take take the container, put it into a deployment, hook up a MySQL uh, pod to it. Like it's very much geared towards each each step of building an environment in Kubernetes, but then every lab has a security twist, right? It's like, oh, do you see what's wrong with how we just did that? Because if you get popped, you could access this, that, and the other thing. So it's it's a good mix, but it definitely isn't. Um, it doesn't dive into like assuming everybody is an expert in Kubernetes. Well, I like the idea of the scenario based training. Like scenario based training, anything that makes you think critically versus regurgitating. Yeah, I, I, not to get off on a tangent, but you know, in terms of uh, in terms of training styles. It's really hard to actually, for me anyways, and I think I'd argue probably for most people to really thoroughly understand something. I don't know. Some people do learn well by just sitting there and listening to somebody talk to them for eight hours. You know, I'm not one of those people. Like after five minutes, I'll zone out. Anyways, I think that there's a lot of value in a training style that engages you, requires you to think in the sense that not engaging, like that person's interesting when they talk. Like, no, it, it... makes you think it's critical, critical thinking. It's, um, scenario based that, that, that kind of training, you know, if I'm going to take training, that's the kind of training that I want. Yeah. It's, I mean, especially in Kubernetes when everything is an abstraction, right? Like the slides are just don't do enough until you run the command and you're like, 
you know, one of the labs is you exec into a container and it's a two container pod and then you talk to the other container in the pod over localhost. And then everyone's like, oh, I get what a pod is now. But before you're like, here's some boxes in this cloud and they just do this thing. Yeah, and so it doesn't like, it doesn't really click. Um, and then the last lab is actually, or second to last lab is actually pretty fun where we, we run Jenkins in, in a cluster with a Docker uh, image registry in the cluster and we do a CI CD pipeline all locally in Kubernetes and the build breaks on the, and on the very, it's like you spin all this stuff up, you're in Jenkins, you're doing your thing and then the build intentionally breaks and then the goal is to fix it. And that has been like, everybody's just like on the whiteboard, they're just like talking to each other, just like, I don't know how to figure this out. And it's like awesome because that's the only, that's the way you learn. And that's how it breaks because of, of RBAC because you don't have a role-based access control policy in place and you have to go build one. And it's not hard, it's just like, where do you do it? How do you apply it? How do you make sure it's applied appropriately? And how did, did you give it the minimum privileges necessary to do the job? So all those things come together and it's very simple, but to, the fix is uh, people go down crazy rabbit holes. Like they're doing stuff that I don't even, I wouldn't even ever think of. And you're just like, it's not that complicated. So it's uh, but it's, but it's a good learning exercise for sure. Oh yeah. Like, you know, otherwise you got someone here, these squares have this, this nickname, these triangles have this other nickname. Do you understand it now? No, you don't <laughs> understand it. Like you don't get it, you know? Yeah. And, then, and then you put them in a situation like you said, because going down, down those rabbit holes, I feel like they, if you're going down those rabbit holes, like it's going to expose, even if it's not the solution that, you know, you're necessarily look, looking for going, there is value in going down rabbit holes. There totally yeah. is. Right. I mean, that's our, that's what, that's security, right? Like, I'm sure everybody on this call and listening in is like been down a few rabbit holes and spent the whole night doing something completely off topic than what you were intended to do. So, but I think that's how you learn. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a fun environment for sure. Um, just because you could probably get away with a lot of the labs, just copying and pasting and you're like running stuff. You're like, cool. I'm, I'm like, doing Kubernetes and then as soon as something breaks, everyone's just like brain is fried and they just don't know, you know, they're just going down different paths. So it's, it's, it's fun. We did have a question that, uh, 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 this is the second time that the question had come up actually, I kind of missed it the first time. Um, but I know we talked about it the last, uh, I think we might've talked about it before, but, um, so the question is, are there any tools that are good at hardening Kubernetes and monitoring config changes? Um, yeah, there, I mean, there are a few. Open source, we have, uh, and actually as part of a lab, we do it in the in Jenkins, but we you can scan your manifest files and or your actual cluster for CIS benchmark top whatever. So there's a CIS benchmark hardening guideline for Kubernetes and uh, there, it's called Cube Bench, K-U-B-E dash Bench. I'll uh, find the link. So yeah, yeah it's, it's through Aqua Security, and Aqua Security does also have some commercial 
stuff um, that they offer when it comes to Kubernetes. So that's a good one to give you like, am I doing the right things? Like, do I have, am I allowing uh, privileged pods to be scheduled into my cluster? That's a fail. Am I only allowing the, the kubelet to communicate over HTTPS? This is, this is Kubernetes cluster security hygiene tool. And we have, we have tools like this for CIS benchmarks for AWS, right? It's the same as like Prowler and uh, a few of the others that are out there that you run against your AWS account. So that's a good one. Um, Twist lock is also, they put out some pretty decent commercial offerings I'm seeing. They integrate with Istio service mesh to do this like all in one, you know, what, what, it's like this dashboard that says, which system calls is my container running? Are there any known vulnerabilities running on that operating system in the container? Are my network uh, policies, mutual TLS authentication, uh, is that all in place? So Twistlock has a few, a few decent tools. Um, and then who else is doing Kubernetes security stuff? Uh, I mean, Istio itself is not, it's not a scanning tool per se, but that's a, that's a Kubernetes hardening tool where you would apply a service mesh and it, it handles, it has a CA and does all your, your mutual TLS authentication. It's a sidecar container that basically runs next to another container within a pod and all of the traffic from maybe your Rails application runs through Istio and you could do lots of interesting monitoring and Sysdig also has a Kubernetes offering. Uh, you can use Sysdig Falco, it's called. And I believe that that, um, that plays nice with, with Kubernetes. So this is runtime stuff. This is like, what's my, what's my Docker container doing under the hood? Is it making dangerous calls? Are people executing into it and running privileged commands? Or is it mounting some volume it shouldn't? So Sysdig has been around for a bit, but Falco is a, like a container native tool that they have out. And, and I've linked to all of these, by the way. So cool. they're all in the, the, the YouTube video and uh, the Slack. Okay. Cool. And uh, there are CVEs and stuff for Kubernetes now. So you can join... Um, Google puts out security bulletins for Kubernetes. I know that's not a tool, but it's good to be informed uh, of, of issues that, that come up when you need to upgrade your version of Kubernetes, things like that. Um, and then really it comes down to manual verification of things. So yeah, you can run tools, you could set up your manifest files to do a certain thing that you think is going to be the right secure way, but you should always go double check manually. And then you can check Shodan and see if your cluster's <laughs> out. I, I mean, that's like, that's like last-ditch effort, right? Like, make sure you're not already owned and mining somebody else's Ethereum or whatever. So I don't recommend getting to that point. <laughs> Hopefully not. Does that, does, that answer the, does that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the first time I had seen it, and I totally forgot to ask it, and then uh, I got a DM 
directly about it. So, well, and uh, on the side note, there's a, I think there's a lot of opportunity too, right, in this space to take some of the older concepts and older tools that we have and start writing new tools for Kubernetes that help secure the ecosystem even further. Um, so that's just a side note, but there, there's definitely opportunity there. Interesting. Well, yeah, it I probably mean, just depends on where there's gaps you know, <laughs> or where it's not as, you know, built out. Right. I, I mean, I, you, like with any infrastructure like this, I mean, you, I don't know. We saw this at AWS or at reInvent all the time, right? Somebody, somebody comes out with a tool and then, you know, the next year Amazon builds it into the platform and just does away with their whole business line. Right. That's sure. always the danger that you have, but, but at the same time, you know, that I mean, like twist, you mentioned twist lock and some of those others that, you know, it, it does feel a lot like the monitoring tools that we've seen in the past or some of what they do, but the spin is slightly different. Right. Um, and the access that's required is slightly different. So, uh, you know, th there's always a case for that. Sorry, Ken, what were you going to say? Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just responding to uh punk. Uh, oh, punk dot. SH is the new showdown. Sorry, that was a comment from the. Yeah. Oh, there's from, a, from, that's from the peanut the new, gallery. Yeah. Is that the new? That's the new showdown. Yeah. I'm behind the times on my or reconnaissance tools. I guess I haven't even heard about this. Huh? It's called punk punk.sh. Yeah, punk.sh. I'm just looking at it right now. That's a great domain name. Yeah. It's by Hyperion Gray. What is Punk? It's a search engine for internet scale vulnerability scans. We're currently scanning. Work collecting banners from in comparison to Shodan that only grabs. Oh, is so it is like an alternative to Shodan. Hmm. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, but it's not. How do I do? I just want to do ports. Now we're figuring out this punk. This is um, what happens. You talk about going down rabbit holes. This is what goes. Yeah, what happens. exactly? All of us are browsing punk.sh right in this That's moment. All it takes to, it, I mean, to derail the whole I conversation. I can't tell if ADD is a strength or a weakness in this this industry. Yeah, right. Uh, so I was just looking for cubelet ports. Interesting. I don't see any on this port list but that's i mean that's a very obvious thing right it's 10255 and 10250 and one is read and one's read write and they're both dangerous but if you find 10255 which is i believe that's the read write port it's it's i mean it could be game over right if they have no authentication so high, highly scriptable <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, um, actually, I put in that and uh, put in one hundred two five five and cube security and yeah, I'm backdooring through Kubelet. Well, yeah, it's 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 bad times. And I tell every class, it's like if you're gonna pick a a piece of malware that's mining cryptocurrency, a Kubernetes cluster is epic. It's way better than just a dinky like. T2 medium on AWS, like especially if they have it set up right, you get infinite 
infinite scalability for your cryptocurrency miner <laughs> and nobody's and probably pay for it yeah <laughs> nobody's probably watching it so it's like yeah so do you get called in speaking of, of that do you get called in proactively or is our but i don't know if you can say it but i'm just curious if there are times you've been called in because people are like our boxes were used to mine crypto like we clearly need some training and some guidance i don't know if you've because yeah. that's definitely happened on the absec side for seth and i for yeah. sure yeah i imagine right um i i haven't yet right so it's it's been it's it's usually like people are are kubernetes curious or their their organization has decided to 2019 is the year of kubernetes for us and this is prep work um but that doesn't mean I won't. Hopefully, I do because that'd be awesome. Like, that'd be to sleuth through like a totally like rooted, infested cluster. That'd be totally cool. Um, but I, I haven't been called in for that yet. I know Twist, Twistlock does some of that stuff. That's they did the Tesla write up. They were the ones that I, I guess went in and figured out what actually went down, which wasn't rocket science by any means. Yeah, no, that's not at all rocket <laughs> science. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty pretty easy to uh, to figure out. But yeah, if anybody listening has an IR engagement in Kubernetes, I'm totally down. Oh, that'd be neat. That'd be a fun one. Rocket science joke. I'm now the chat's just. I'm, <laughs> now it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it's just gone off the rails. But uh, yeah, uh, someone's gonna say I can't remember what I was gonna say. Well, I guess I didn't get hammered with questions this time. So no, they were a little bit. Uh, it was a little bit better than uh, last last time. The whole episode, you know. Just... Well, all my all my secret admirers are haven't joined. I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're starting to get on now for some reason, right? You know, maybe we did it earlier. We did it later last time. Something like that. I don't know, but somebody did mention that like our Twitter links go out. In one case, it was like twenty four hours after the podcast that the the because of that random ass algorithm Twitter's pushing. I guess it came up a day after the podcast started. So I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, well, so <laughs> and if you're listening, and you know, subscribe if you want to view it live. Otherwise. Um, uh, we're on uh, well now. We're, aren't we on iTunes or something, Seth? What, what did you do with we that? We are. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't announce that uh, the podcast. Like now, when I push it, uh, the podcast, the audio version is available on Google Play and on Apple Podcasts. Um, so you can stream it after the fact, and then just jump on the Slack channel if you have other questions or you want to interact with you know, the guests or whoever it is. Right. Um, so. I mean, we're, we're, we're growing up a little bit. Yeah, we are on Stitcher as well. <laughs> we are growing up a little bit, 20, 20 some odd episodes in. Never. <laughs> Eventually, Ken will figure out that he has to mute one window before you know starting the podcast. Fucking maybe. Man. Never remember maybe. to do it. Never remember <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll come up with a checklist and make sure he does it before we go live. Maybe we can do that. You know. Yeah, and the checklist would be one item. Don't put it on mute. Don't let it play. That would be the the one checklist item. So you have one job. 
Yeah. Oh, oh good. Uh, Ken is saying that YouTube doesn't like us announcing other platforms on podcasts, but I guess they, you know, we're not big enough that they're listening to us yet. So we'll see. Yeah. That's because Twitter's stupid. No, I mean, well, yeah, I won't go off on Twitter, but uh, that algorithm is is the worst. It really is the worst. But um, oh yeah, congrats on on now being a Microsoft employee, Ken. I didn't talk. I haven't <laughs> talked to you. Since. Technically, <laughs> technically, uh, hopefully you cashed out big. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, financially, it's it's you know, nobody's crying, but um. Uh, so the deal doesn't actually close. It hasn't closed yet. So whenever it um, closes, then I'll technically work for Microsoft, but uh, I don't know when that'll be. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, um, I'm happy about it. To be honest with you, I'm actually happy about it. So um, yeah, I just, as long as I don't have to work on like a surface or something, then, then we're all good. So yeah. I mean, he needs two surfaces. <laughs> I need at least two surfaces. <laughs> Overall, I think it's a good thing, right? As long as it's they don't have Clippy integration in the GitHub, then I'm happy. I've seen I've seen a Clippy Octocat uh, yeah. icon, which was pretty awesome. The jokes are endless for sure. Yeah, but um, overall, overall, congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't really do anything, right? Like, I just did joined the company. Yeah, I did my job. Showed up. But um, congratulations. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's it's definitely congratulations for like Neil, who, uh, you know, I work with. He's been part of the team for years now. And for folks that have been around for a while, you know, it's nice for that to like that, all that work they've put in. And it's, it's been quite a you know, they've, they've done quite a bit to build out the security um, and, you know, engineers as well. But, you know, I'm just talking about Neil. So he works on security and yeah, he did a bunch of work. Uh, Patrick Toomey, Greg Ose, um, you know, those folks have been around for a while, so I'm really happy for them. It's, yeah. it's uh, paid off. So cool. And, uh, yeah, I got, I got nothing else to plug other than OWASP San Francisco. I'll be there giving a Kubernetes talk at their Thursday night meetup in August. Um, so- so August Jimmy, 23rd. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I know you're you're giving the trainings all over the place. It's mostly to private organizations. Are you doing any, you know, public trainings as far as Kubernetes goes? Is oh, that at, just- at, at conferences, uh, Loco Moco Sec 2019 is all I have in the books right now. Um, okay. Mainly because I haven't submitted to anything, so I, I, it's just it's so much travel and calendar orchestration that it's overwhelming already to even think about going to a conference. So in Locomoco sec is different, obviously. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Well, well, we should talk. I mean, I, I help organize that hack West that's in the spring sometime too. But is that in, for that's in Salt Lake city. Salt Lake city. Yeah. See, I'm happy to. That's not far from you, but it would Definitely. be interesting. I know there's there were people that were asking after the last, last episode if if we would be interested in having you come up and do it. So yeah. I'll start those conversations. No, no, totally. And if I get asked to do something, that's much different than me going through the CFP process, right? It's like yep. I, I just haven't – I don't keep up with it. And then usually 
Ken was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to CactusCon, which is the only local conference to me, and I'm probably going to miss the deadline. So, like, oh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, because I wanted to, I wanted to plug that people uh, should go to it, just because I like the conference, and yeah, we'll see if I'll see if I get upset, accepted. But yeah, CactusCon is so, and it's only like a couple hour drive from you. We were talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit as well most likely and see what happens. Well, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, Cactus Con is a good one, right? I mean, Andrew runs it and it's, I've been to it the last like three or four years, right? Ken, it's been a while since you were down at it, right? Uh, she's 2013, 2014. I don't know. Whenever I think it was like, it's first or second year that, that wait, I wasn't with you. I don't think, I think it was, uh, no, no, I think I was with maybe John Poulin because John John goes every yeah John Poulin was there Justin Collins gave a talk, um, yeah. Now it's been a while. It's a great conference though. I really I highly recommend it. It's really fun and also like in September in uh, so it's late September, not it's almost October. Like the weather in Phoenix that at that time is going to be pretty nice. So it's, it's it's always at a good location, good weather. Uh, good conference, good talks. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's see what else is going on. I did what, Hey, uh, Jimmy, uh, uh, so Jim Manico, your partner in crime. Yep. Uh, he is actually coming on the podcast as well. Uh, Uh-oh. yeah. He's August, coming, right? August 14th. Yeah. We're actually, cool. we've got, I mean, we've got Matt Tassaro, Jim Manico, Scott Piper, um, Justin Larson, Ken Toller. We got a bunch of people coming on, all scheduled. So we're actually we've got people uh, coming on um, their schedules out till September at this point. So, uh, but yeah, I wanted to mention Jim's coming on the podcast. So, you know, you can. Yeah, we've, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I definitely appreciate getting invited on for round two. So, anytime, like, I'm like still very deep in into this world. So, stuff comes up all the time and uh, I'll be around the circuit as much as I can be. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Um, before we get, get off, I did want to mention a couple things. Um, so Chris Gates was on the podcast a while back and he, I, I just wanted to put out to the viewers that his video, his keynote talking about uh, it's called hacking your happiness. Highly recommend um, watching this video and then Kevin Cody, and I have the YouTube link here. Kevin Cody was also on the show a, uh, a couple times, uh, much like you, Jimmy. He's been on here uh, twice now. And uh, much like both of you, I will ask you to come on again. Um, here's his, uh, wait, sorry, that wasn't a link to, that was, uh, sorry, the link I just posted was to Kevin Cody. The one for Chris is, I lost it. Uh, here it is, okay. Anyways, highly recommend uh, this talk. So, anyways, just wanted to put that out there. Uh, but next week we've got Ken Toller. Uh, Seth, anything that we need to mention before we hop off? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, it'll be interesting to talk to Ken Toller. It's you know stuff that he's been working on. We've been trying to get on get him on here for a while. Um, you know, he's one of those in the peanut gallery that's always you know. <laughs> asking questions. So it'll be good to pepper him as well. Um, but, you know, Jimmy, like always, it's 
it's super interesting to talk through the Kubernetes and container world. I don't think we get enough of that on our side, so appreciate it once again. Um, but totally. that, that's everything for me. So I will mention one last time. Uh, sorry, Jimmy. Uh, I will last uh, mention. Uh, we will get the link. I don't. I don't have the link in front of me, but uh, plugging our course that we're giving in. Um, October. October. Yeah, October. It. Uh, AppSec USA, uh, Seth and I are giving a course on how to how to effectively do uh, code review and also how to do it with modern technology stacks. So uh, again, sweet. hopefully next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of sweet because I was looking at the, the schedule and it turns out Jim Jim Manico is also giving training and he's a really good, well known trainer. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure Jim's gonna gonna get like a ton of attendees and you know, good for. I mean, it's gonna be funny. I'm gonna give him. We'll, we'll rib him about it on the on the August 14th podcast. So Yeah, I mean, different audience, right? So For sure, for it's sure. It's all good. Um, oh, on that note, one small plug. There's a new manacode.com website coming very soon, and there's going to be a brochure that has all of the course offerings uh, that I that I train as well as Jim and, uh, and Philippe. So there's three trainers all under the Manicode name, uh, covering mobile security, AppSec, DevSecOps, like user awareness training, like the whole gamut. So check it out. Uh, and it's coming soon. So, All right. I posted the link to Manicode.com for in both channels uh, for those who would like to check it out. So Cool. Thank you. Well, man, well, once again, thanks for joining us. Um, don't again, don't hop off because we're going to stop the show, but we'll hang on for a few minutes. Yeah. Give me one. I, well, I, my battery is like about to die. So let me grab my charger real quick. Okay, cool. Well, with that, <laughs> Seth, anything else before we uh, stop the broadcast? No, no. Thanks for joining. Like always, this will be up shortly on all of the different channels. So we'll see. We'll talk to everybody next week. Awesome. Thanks everyone for joining. Later.